It's an honor and a privilege to be with you, to be numbered and counted among the saints here in this place, in this city, at this time. It's an honor to be together. Amen? Uh, I'm reminded when I get in this space, and it's been a while since I've had the opportunity to, to uh, share the word with you, but I'm reminded when I get in this space that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So when we read scripture, we are not just reading words, we're reading sustenance for our soul that transcends even into our physical bodies. So would you stand with me as we read the word? We're going to read actually Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 13 through 16. Jesus is talking, and he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Let's pray. Jesus, as we come before you right now, we want you to know that we are not content with just uh, reading your word and then walking away. We're not content with uh, talking about knowledge. We want to know you. Jesus, we, are, we desire above all else that your hand would be among us, would touch us, would empower us, would breathe your life into us so that we can breathe your life to others. Jesus, we thank you for speaking in such a way. It would not be my words. It would be your words. So let everything else burn up and just may your words remain in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. You are the salt. You are the light. These are Jesus' words. And when Jesus says this, this is very interesting. He takes our identity. This is where identity and function collide. This is where identity and function can collide, converge. If you want to know how God expects you to show up in this season, then this, you, you need to listen. You need to tune in to what's about, what God's about to say here. It's, he's not just telling us who we are, but how we are to live, how we're to show up. Jesus comes to us. He shows up on the scene, and he says, guys, let me tell you who you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. That's who he says you are. If Jesus said we are the salt and the light, then we need to get pretty serious about understanding fundamentally what does he mean and what does, what does it mean to be salt and what does it mean to be light in our current context. So is that okay if we do that today? Is that all right if we just dive in and try and work through this? All right. Both salt and light are absolutely essential to life. Our bodies necessarily need salt in order to function on the inside. Our digestive tract, our urinary tract, different parts of our body are equilibria, equilibrialized. Sure, in order by salt. If we have too little salt, we're in trouble. If we have too much salt, we're in trouble. But we need salt in order to function on the inside. In the same way, light is absolutely necessary for almost everything we do on the outside. Now, interestingly, in our spiritual context, salt and light is a two-way traffic. Let me explain what I mean. When my wife is cooking something in the kitchen, uh, we could be working on it together, or I could, uh, she could be coming to me, 
And this happens a lot, by the way. She comes, she runs to me. And she's running with a spoon. And she comes and she says, Jesse, and she shoves it in my mouth. And she says, taste this. Now, know that I don't know what's in, uh, what she's putting in my mouth, okay? But she says, taste this. And then she says, what else does it need? Has anyone had this conversation before? Yeah, it happens a lot in my house. And for some reason, I still have this desire to impress my wife. Um, and so I'm thinking of all the different spice names that I know. I'm thinking of oregano and basil. I can't remember what they taste like, but I know, I know the name, you know? And if I really want to impress her, then I move into Amharic, and I'm like, Zinzibel. Or, or uh, you, know, you know what this really needs, hon? This needs some beri-beri. But you know, nine times out of 10, every time this happens, when she thrusts that spoon into my mouth and asks, what, is that, what else does it need? Nine times out of 10, you know what, what, we have to say, what I say? And you know what it needs? Joe, salt. It doesn't matter what kind of food it is, salt makes it better. He, and you know why? Because salt's property Necessarily, what it does is it actually jumps on to those flavors and pulls out what already was. It, what it does is it, it, it actually, uh, sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm losing my place. I'm finding it now. It makes whatever already exists a better version of itself. Salt makes whatever already is, it makes it a better authentic version of itself. Salt pulls. Salt pulls out. So that's how it, this direction, salt goes this direction, but then light pushes in, okay? So we must understand that when Jesus is calling us salt and light, he's talking about going this direction and this direction. Now, I want to circle back to salt and what it means. In ancient times, salt used to be more valuable than gold. At the time that Jesus said this, salt was more valuable than gold. Gold might have been shinier, but you can't live without salt. You know, uh, here in Ethiopia, I know a lot of, a lot of you uh, men, you, you, you nickname your wives, Werkie, you know? Werkie, nah, nay, you know? But uh, in Jesus' times, you know what they were calling their wives? Joie. <laughs> More valuable than gold because you could not go without it. In fact, salt was used at the time Jesus said this as currency. The word salary comes from the Latin word for salt. The Roman uh, military was paid, not in gold, not in silver, not in coins. They were paid in salt. It's an expensive but essential commodity. And you know why? Because salt has so many different functions. Salt preserves. For thousands of years, if you cut a lamb, if you cut uh, uh, a bowl and, and skinned it, you wouldn't just hang it, you would treat it with salt. Why? Because that prolongs the life of the meat. It pulls out the moisture and thereby doing it doesn't allow bacteria to actually land and be a host for that bacteria. So it's safer to eat when you apply the salt. Salt purifies. It refuses, it, it actually rejects, resists decay. Growing up uh, in certain other parts of the world, I don't know, I haven't seen slugs here in Addis. You know slugs? They're these slimy things that walk around when it rains. Uh, you pour salt on that thing, it's going to dissolve that slimy-looking animal. It's going to dissolve it right away. It purifies. Salt heals. For, for, for thousands of years, if you wanted to clean a wound, guess what you'd use? Salt. It burns when you clean it out, but it purifies it. If you have a sore throat, even today, you gargle with salt water and it, it, it protects that 
that sickness from prolonging it and, and actually moving down into your lungs. In, uh, in the Northern Hemisphere, there's this thing called snow, okay? I don't know if you've heard of this. It's one of my favorite things in the world, actually. But it, as it goes, it, it can freeze a whole city, and it can freeze the ground. Actually, where I live, not far from where I live, it freezes the ground up to 10 or up to 3 meters down into the ground. Freezes the whole, whole way down. Uh, so ice can cover the streets. And you know what? The whole northern hemisphere, what they're doing at 3 a.m. before people start trying to go to work is they're scattering salt across the roads so that the cars don't collide into each other. It melts. Salt energizes. The bath salts is a huge industry. You go uh, uh, to the Dead Sea, people are selling packages of mud from the Dead Sea, the salt sea, and you apply it on your body. It's known to help heal different things. Salt adds flavor. I like the message translation uh, of verse 13. Let me tell you who you are. You are here to be salt, seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. Brings out the God flavors. What do you see in society that reflects the Lord? You are the salt that pulls pulls it out. When Jesus calls us salt, you know what he's saying? You are essential for society. You are valuable for this whole thing. We preserve, we purify, we heal, we melt, we tenderize, we energize, and we season society. You are essential. That's what Jesus is saying. You are essential to this whole thing. You know, as, as Abba had already said, certain, certain governments are recalling their non-essential workers right now in our city. Well, Jesus says that if you are the salt, then you are essential to the city. You are essential to the demographic, to society. So my question, I have a lot of questions today, but I want to ask you this. How are you preserving in your speech? How are you energizing in your behavior? How are you adding flavor and value in your neighborhood? Why is this so important? On a practical level, imagine, imagine your favorite food with no flavor. I mean, some of us have had COVID. Have you eaten when you can't taste anything with no flavor? Imagine cars driving on an icy road and they're not able to stop and they collide. Imagine having meat, you cut the meat, you, you kill the animal, you cut the meat, but it goes bad before you're able to share it with somebody. It goes bad before you're able to sell it. Jesus said, we are the ones to do these things. We're the ones to preserve. We're the ones to flavor society. And then Jesus says, but if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? The salt is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled under the foot of men. Whew. Jesus can be brutal sometimes. It is then good for nothing. The message says it, it says it this way. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. What is Jesus saying? It's actually possible to lose our relevance in society. It's actually possible to lose our saltiness, even as believers. This is part of our DNA. It's part of our identity as believers to be salt and light. But Jesus is saying it's possible to actually lose this. How then, it's very important for us to understand, how then can we lose our saltiness? I'm going to give you three simple ways in how we can actually protect ourselves from losing our saltiness. saltiness. Are you with me? Okay. We lose our saltiness. We lose our effectiveness when the salt is combined with something else or it is diluted with water. 
So this is a physical thing I'm talking about. Salt loses its saltiness when there is a, a bond with some other chemical. It, it can lose its flavor, right? But then if you just pour water on it, it's eventually going to lose that effectiveness. In our case, in a spiritual sense, when we combine our faith with worldliness, when we combine our faith with human ideology, when we water down the truthfulness of God's word, we lose our essentiality in society. Doctrines that crowd out the good news of the gospel of Jesus. You know, often I find that people actually, uh, when I tell them about Jesus, the, 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 a, a lot of times they're pushing back, not up against Jesus, but what the people of God have combined with Jesus. They're turned off because Jesus was diluted somehow. So combining, diluting, and then this third reason that we can lose our effectiveness in society is by hoarding our salt. When we hoard ourselves, you know what I mean by hoarding? Hoarding, keeping to our own, to ourself, keeping it close. Now, I love salt. I'm not much of a, a sugar person. I, when I get stressed out and when I stress eat, guess what I'm eating? I'm eating salt. I'm eating French fries. I'm eating dorawood, okay? But uh, I, as much as I love salt, I have never eaten salt by itself. It is not a pleasant thing. Actually, I have once as a kid, and I vowed I would never do it again. If you have never done it before, go home after church, and with your meal, start out with just putting a handful of salt in your mouth, and tell me how it tastes next week. Because it's not pleasant. And because salt was never meant to be consumed by itself. It was meant to be sprinkled. It was meant to be seasoned upon a whole thing of food. Everybody has a salt shaker at home. But its relevance is not when it's in the shaker, but when it's shaken out. When the shaker gives of itself is when it actually seasoned what is in front of you. In the same way, we as the church cannot afford to hoard ourselves. We are meant to actually season and be scattered across society in order to season and or in order to pull out the godliness that is. First Peter 2.12 says this, be careful to live properly among you, your unbelieving neighbors. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, and they will, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Irrelevance comes when we combine, dilute, or do nothing. Can I say that again? Irrelevance. God has called us salt, totally essential to humanity. But we lose that essentialness when we become irrelevant to society when we dilute the gospel, when we combine it with worldly thinking and worldly living, and when we do nothing. I believe that this is a word for us in this season today. And so this is why I'm, I'm speaking it, and I want you to even listen to what Jesus is saying in context of where we are today. In times like this, we cannot afford to lose our effectiveness. We cannot afford to lose our relevance to the world. And you know something else? The world cannot afford to lose you as an essential part of society. The world needs you to be functioning as the salt and light. So I want to put up some questions here on the, on the screen. And it, it, these are questions that kind of were, mis I was just pouring over them as to how do we, how do we evaluate ourselves in, in our ability to be the salt some of these questions I want to ask. Is your joy, your peace, your patience, your attitude, is it contagious? 
Do other people want to be like that, to act like you? Are you inviting of your neighbors? Do they want to be around you or are they going to avoid you because they have to step around, uh, like tiptoe on eggshells around you? Do you pull the best out of others? Does your boss constantly want to put you on a project because he, he or she knows that in order for the project to go successfully, you have to be involved? The thing that you touch and build, does it last? Is it preserved? Do you go into situations and heal and mend relationships? Do you make others thirsty for Jesus? Thirsty for Jesus. Speaking of which, do you pull out the God flavors of this earth? You know, it doesn't take that much salt to season food. Uh, I know that there can be a tendency. Are you, are you guys with me? Okay. I know there can be a tendency. And, and I myself have been in this place where I just feel totally alone. It's like, man, I, I, I wish I was over there with all of those believers over there. Uh, but I just feel so uh, alone in my family, alone in my work, alone, alone, alone. But I want to tell you this. You are stationed and placed where you are for your function, for, because you are the salt, because you are to season the place where you're at. You are to pull out the God flavors of society. You're to highlight, to celebrate, to applaud anything in your sphere, anything in your space that reflects God. This is who God has called you to be. This is who he has actually put and pinned your identity as the salt and light. Amen? You are positioned for a purpose, which means that your job is relevant to your spiritual call. Your home, where you are, is relevant and part of your spiritual call. Don't ever, don't ever buy the lie that your spiritual call is separated. No, no, you're essential to society. So salt pulls out God's flavor, but then in verse 14, he tells us that we also are the light and that we must shine in. So, can we talk about light? He said, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Now, in John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus actually ascribes this to himself. He says, I am the light of the world. Interestingly, he says that in the context of forgiveness. But here, he applies it to you and he applies it to me. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but put it on a lampstand and it gives light to the whole house. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You are the light. You are the salt and you are the light. You pull out and now God is telling you to put in. Here's how we put in. The reason why we can put in is because darkness is actually not a substance in and of itself. It is actually, as uh, the Northern African scholar, uh, St. Augustine, back in the late uh, 300 AD, uh, he said uh, that darkness is the absence of light. You cannot pull light out of darkness. Rather, light must go into darkness and scatter it. So then, once we do that, then we can see clearly. Once we do that, then we can see the way forward and we can point the way forward. But that role of scattering the darkness, that role of being able to help see clearly and point the way forward is yours. That role God gave to us. We say this a lot uh, in Beza. This is one of our Beza mantras. But the lamp only finds its purpose in the darkness. Without darkness, light has capacity, but no purpose. When our, when our power goes out, I, uh, I really love candles. Uh, I have them placed all across my house. 
in strategic places, in our bedroom, in our uh, kitchen, in the dining room, so that when the power goes out, I'm ready. So they're put in a strategic place, much like God has put you in a strategic place. But I don't think about my candles until the power goes out, until it's dark. And then it's very, very relevant to light those things up. In the same way, when darkness comes, the world is wondering, are the lights going to turn on or not? Are the candles going to be lit or not? Because the world does not have light in and of itself. It needs your light in order to scatter the darkness. It needs you to take the initiative and to light your light and stay and stand and be established in the place where you are so that there can be light everywhere in the house where you are. In this regard, Jesus was very serious when he said this about us. The lamp is not hiding from darkness, but waiting for it. Sometimes I think we, we, we get into this pattern of thinking that, well, it's just me. Well, I'm just, I'm just Jesse. I'm just one person. I, what can I do? Well, we're going to find out. The darker it gets, we're going to find out how bright you can shine. And the darker it gets, the more relevant your light becomes. So how are you going to shine? Are you going to take your position seriously? Are you going to light yourself? I've been, uh, actually, during worship, I was just consumed with this picture. I was just asking the Lord, and I ask this of, of God a lot. I just, God, consume me. Light me on fire. Light me on fire. But then as I was praying that prayer, I realized that the way in the Old Testament that a fire was lit is by actually climbing up on the altar of sacrifice. There's no fire without sacrifice. So if we are going to show up and burn brightly for the Lord if we're going to burn brightly so that the society can see and we can dispel the darkness, we've got to climb up on the altar of sacrifice. We are the light. Jesus said, you are the light. We've got to take that really seriously. We can't just pass over this passage and think that we've, we've uh, taken something in. No, we've got to run with what Jesus says. This is not a time for us to shrink back but to step up. Um, recently, uh, we have these glow-in-the-dark stickers, uh, glow-in-the-dark uh, stars that we as a family, we put on the ceiling of my, my son and my daughter's room. And we, we were actually were talking about Abraham and how uh, his descendants are as many as the stars. So we put a bunch of stars on the ceiling, and then we're like, watch this, and we turn out the light, and then the stars are glowing, right? And my daughter's like, Ooh, and then I turn the lights back on, and she's like, no, 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 Daddy, turn the lights back off, right? She, in one sense, might be scared of darkness before, but now she wants the darkness so that she can see the light of the stars. This is opposite from how, the, how we are trained to think about our presence in darkness. Darkness is associated with evil. Darkness is associated with fear. But we are waiting for it because our purpose is manifested in it. This is where we find our purpose. This is where we find our calling. This is where we find our function. Uh, if you're feeling like you're not relevant, if you're feeling like you just don't know what to do for God, soak in this. Soak in this. If we are afraid of darkness, then it shows that it still has power over us. That is not our destiny. And as I look out, you know, fear darkness, they try and make us feel like we're alone. They try and isolate. But when I look out, guys, we're not alone. Don't, don't give into the lie that, uh, that's saying that you are alone. You're not. You're not alone. This is not our destiny. The more things that go dark in society, the more critical it is for us to understand who we are. Jesus said, you are the light. So many times I find Christians, including myself, I have found myself in this trap where I am 
I am stressed. I'm looking for the light somewhere. I'm looking for hope somewhere. It's like, ah, there's no hope. Where's the hope? Guys, what is Jesus saying right here? I'm carrying it in me right here. Right here. It's in me. You are the light because you carry his presence. You are his testimony telling of his goodness because you're living his good life. You have what it takes to show up in darkness. Don't wait for the person next to you. Don't wait for that other person who seems more confident than you. No, if you are a believer in the Christ, the, the, the one who laid down his life and rose again, then you can walk ahead. You can actually carry that hope and that light, irregardless of whether you feel it or not. This isn't about feeling. This is about faith. Both Salt and light are others-focused. Both salt and light are action-focused. Abba had just stood up right here, and the council of evangelical churches came together in unity, and they said, we are declaring a whole month of prayer and fasting. Amen. We're going to do it. Let's join in. How powerful this is in a time of, of, of brokenness and fra different fractions of society that the church would come together on, in one voice and align together and say, we are going to fast in prayer. We're going to do it. But if all we do is pray, then we are going to miss out on the function of our identity as salt and light. We need to pray. But here, Jesus is giving us action. If darkness increases, then our tools for redemption must also increase. There's a reason why we are called Beza, church. It's because we believe that God has given us tools of redemption for society and for this nation. As darkness increases, our tools must actually match the task of dispelling that darkness. We cannot rely on yesterday's methods for tomorrow's challenges. We cannot, I'm going to say it again, we cannot rely on yesterday's methods for tomorrow's challenges. We cannot use a wrench when a sledgehammer is needed. The tool must fit the task. Here's how I want to bring this home. Casual Christianity might have gotten you to where you are now, but it is not going to get us where we need to be as a nation. Casual forgiveness ain't going to get us where we need to go. It might kind of hold your relationships where they are, but it's not going to get us to where our nation needs to be. Casual salting will not change the flavor of society. Casual lighting will not show the way forward and give a clear picture for society to go. We've got to get serious. We've got to take our redemption tools to the next level. There are cuisines that uh, don't take that much salt because it already has a richness of flavor, huh? But what I find is that you and I, we are in a pot right now, in a stew that is cooking, and it requires a lot of salt. It takes a lot of presence of salt for it to have the godly image to be pulled out and celebrated. We can either mourn what we feel we have lost. We can mourn the difficulty of what is ahead of us, church. Or we can tool up. We can mourn, we can complain, or we can prepare. The choice is ours. And the choice is individual, and now I'm bringing it as a corporate choice. Are we going to complain, or are we going to tool up and take our redemptive tools to the next level? God has given us tools. He's given us the armor of God. He's given us uh, the, the fruit of the Spirit. He's given us the spiritual gifts. He's given us these characters, the salt and light for a reason. 
Are we going to keep standing, keep functioning with our armor sitting next to us rusting away or are we going to put it on? Are we going to use the tools that God has given us or are we not? You know, um, in this state of what is quite confusing for all of us, when you look at your phone, uh, it, it can kind of be blinding. It's kind of overwhelming, right? It kind of can get you in a funk. Uh, and, and I was just thinking this morning about how uh, we as believers now more than ever have to be spirit-led. And then I thought, you know, the world, or, well, in our country at least, uh, we are called pente. Because of the Pentecost, because of the dispensation of the Holy Spirit upon his people, right? That's ultimately why we're called Pente in this country. And I thought, wow, isn't that telling? Are we going to function according to our name or not? Are we going to function? Are we going to be led by fear or are we going to be led by our namesake? Are we going to be led by the Holy Spirit or are we going to let the, the naysayers, are we going to let the, the, the confusion of the day dictate what we do and how we do it. Understand, church, that we have a part to play, and it's more than just prayer. This is a call to tool up. Heightened challenges means our redemptive tools must increase. In the society, societal instability, God has placed us to bring stability, to bring courage, to bring hope, to Light's playground is darkness, because wherever light is, darkness is dispelled. This is the reality. The only time that we have to be afraid of hatred is when we offer nothing else. We only have to be afraid of darkness if we give no other alternative. But I'm thanking God that he's given us an alternative. So, we don't have to be consumed with darkness. Rather, we should be consumed with honing our saltiness and our light. We should be consumed with being able to express what God has spoken over us, that we are the salt, we are the flavor of society, we are the light of society. Focus on that and we will function the way that God has called us to function. Don't focus on the darkness. We will lose our relevance to society if we do that. So we ask ourselves, what are we offering to everyone else? Now, um, Abba has been bugging me about this whole idea of tools. And as an illustration, I wanna, I'm, uh, I'm actually going to pull out a tool, a tool that I have not used in a very long time. When darkness increases, we've got to pull out the tools. Desperate times come from des calls for desperate measures, huh? We got this? Ooh, do you hear that? Here's what I want to say. I'm using this as an illustration, so, as an illustration that we must use the tools that God has given us. We cannot let them sit on the sidelines while darkness is increasing. We must meet that darkness with every tool that God has given us. Now, here's the thing. Uh, like I had said, uh, all that's going on right now, it, it can get me in a funk. The last several days, my phone is off the hook, ringing from different parts of the world, especially America. Come home right now. What are you doing? Have you heard? Have you heard? Have you heard? And it can get overwhelming. Uh, what's going on? And then I get in a funk. And then I pass that funk on to my family. And then I pass that funk on into my work. And then that funk prevails in everything that I do and everything I think and everything that I say. Guys, we gotta talk back to the funk. 
We gotta talk back to the fear that's been created in our society. So right now, we're gonna talk back. And I'm gonna use this tool here to talk back. Amen. All right? Yeah. All right, let's do this. I have a hope, I have a future, I have a destiny that is yet awaiting me. My life's not over, a new beginning's just begun. I have a hope, I have this hope, God has a plan. It's not to harm me, but it's to prosper me and to hear me when I call him. Working all things for my good, though trials may come. I have this hope. I will yet praise Him, my great Redeemer. I will yet stand up and give Him glory with my life. He takes my darkness and He turns it into light. I will yet praise Him, my Lord. So tell me whom then, tell me whom then shall I fear He has prepared for me. Great things compel me to complete, I have this hope, I have this hope. Goodness and mercy, they're gonna follow me, and I'll forever dwell in the house of my great King. No, I has never seen all His to fear. We don't let it take over the narrative. We talk back with the hope and light of Jesus Christ in Jesus name. We've got to talk back to fear. You may be seated. Hope is light's commodity. And I believe it's one of the tools that we have in our pockets that we must play often, 
all the time. Now, here's, here's where I want to be clear. The presence of hope does not mean that we should not grieve. We should grieve. We should grieve the bloodshed. We should grieve the loss. We should grieve the, the disunity in our country. But grieving does not negate our hope. And here's why. is because we never hoped in our country. We never hoped in people. We never hoped in an institution. We hoped in the personhood of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we continue to hope in Jesus. We continue to, to, to cry out hope and send hope. But we don't just talk hope. When we talk about salt and light, we're talking about action hope. We're talking about functioning hope, inserting it into society. Are you with me? Hope is independent but not separated from our circumstances. This is not God's first rodeo. This is not his first time around the track. He has a track record. Can I walk you through some of that track record? This is not the first country that has been in this position. This is not the first city that has wondered about its survival or wondered about how it's going to move forward. There are many instances of how God has used clay pots, how he has delivered cities and nations using lepers, how he has used a woman with a tent peg, how he has used a choir, a worship team, to move forward and dispel the enemy. God, God can use anything. Now, I would like to share, can I tell a personal story here? That I believe would show himself, would show God faithful to you today in this season. Um, I actually have never shared this story in public, um, but I feel like now's the time. My, uh, it's actually about my grandparents, who I grew up with, who are very near and dear to my heart. And those of you who don't know, they uh, met and married here in Ethiopia, lived here in the 50s and 60s. Then the Derg happened. They uh, were forced to leave the country. And they found themselves in Somalia for some R&R. &R. <laughs> and uh, they were in Somalia in the late 80s and 90s which if you remember, was a very difficult and dark time in Somalia. And, uh, but they went into Somalia because they had this belief that if they would just go and if they would just serve, that they would be, be the salt that Jesus told them they were and that Somalis would come to know Jesus. That was their conviction. So they left, they went. And so they, they worked. My grandfather was the senior doctor uh, of part of a greater team that was treating leprosy. And so he was working for years on a leprosy colony on an island south of Mogadishu. And uh, so as they're working, they're sharing the light and love of Jesus. And the, but the tension in the country was building, massing. And the warlord that was controlling the area uh, was always wanting to occupy and to loot and to take over that place. Because he saw some of these foreigners and he thought, ah, oh, maybe they have money, Manaman, but his hatred grew. But remarkably, over the years, what actually kept him away was the fear of leprosy. <laughs> and so him and his militia, they wouldn't go near the leprosy colony, which was an island, which was nice, but uh, they wouldn't go near it because they were afraid of the sickness. But his courage started growing and his desire, his, the evil really was growing. The darkness was growing in the country. And eventually he gathered his militia and he stormed the island uh, under cover of night, pitch black. And you can guess who he was looking for. And he was bloodthirsty. And so he came and uh, found the, the compound, the, the space where my grandparents were living, beat uh, the guard, 
half to death and broke into the compound, broke into my grandparents' house. They, they found them in the living room and started to just beat my grandparents. And uh, as this is going on, my grandpa finds himself on the ground. They have a knife to his throat while they continue to beat my grandmother, okay? Now, obviously, this is not looking good. All the while, they're screaming, we're gonna kill you, we're gonna kill you, we're gonna kill you. And that indeed was their intention. And so just as my grandparents are really getting ready to meet their maker, they're like, all right, Jesus, this is it. This is it, here we go. Something happened. In, it was pitch black, you can imagine, on an island in Somalia, pitch black. There was a sound that came from outside. And, and the warlord and his militia got spooked. They, they stopped beating my grandma and, they, and and they heard this sound and they got so spooked that they booked it as fast as they could out of that place. They ran as fast as they could. And you know what that sound was? When there was no other hope, the river was right on this side and the hippos came up out of the river and stormed the house and ran up towards the house, creating this ruckus. The darkness that the warlord had used to his own advantage was actually turned on him to the point where they got so scared because they didn't know what that sound was. And they ran for their lives as fast as their skinny legs could take them. Why do I say this? If God can use clay pots, if he can use worship teams, if he can use rumors, confusion, simple sounds, I wanna add another one to the arsenal of God's uh, hippos. If God can use hippos, then he can use anything. Here we are, the fear is trying to grab its claws onto your soul and limit the light that comes from your soul. Limit your effectiveness in salting our society. And fear is trying to isolate you and to think that there's no hope. But even in the darkness, in the pitch black darkness, if God can use a hippo, he can use anything. And so I'm calling upon you today to let hope arise. Speak back against the fear. I'm talking about hippo kind of hope. We do not hope in an institution. We don't hope in something else other than Jesus. But when we hope in Jesus, he can use anything in the river or without. And so I speak to the mothers. I speak to the daughters in this place. Don't be afraid. God's got the hippos. Talking to the dads, to the fathers and the sons and to the husbands. Don't let fear get the narrative over your soul or over your family. The hippos are in the river, and the river is here. All the way from Arba Minch, it will flow all the way up into the north. He can use anything to bring salvation to the nation, to bring salvation to his people who believe in him. I'm calling on the hippo kind of hope to rise inside of you. Now, even if it was totally hopeless, totally dark. If you're there, there's still hope. Because Jesus called you the light of the world. Jesus called you the light of the world. And so you need to scale up your understanding of who you are. It might have been fine with how you viewed yourself yesterday or last year, but it's, what, that level is not gonna work for tomorrow. We've got to scale up our understanding of what it means to be the light of the world and what it means to salt our society. This is our function. And so we bring hope everywhere we go. In our action, in our speech, we salt 
the earth. We salt our society. We pull out the flavor. We change the flavor based on who we are because Jesus said so. Amen? So turn on your hope today. Turn it on because the hope lights the way forward. Be present. Don't let the fear pull you back into this recluse. No, be present because it's when you're present that you actually consult. Keep your good deeds flowing. Keep them flowing. It's so amazing that what Jesus says, uh, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify their Father in heaven so that they may see your good works. See, we know and understand and relate to God through his voice, through his presence, through all different vehicles of language that God develops with his children. But the world, the world will know that God exists through your actions. The world will know through what you do. Don't dilute the gospel. Don't combine with worldly thinking. See, we, uh, the world can afford to think self-centered. We cannot. Why? Because we're the salt. They're not the salt. The world, the world can be tribal, but we cannot be tribal because we are the salt and we flavor society, and we pull the godliness out, and we change the flavor of society. That's our function. The world will do what it wants to do, but we cannot afford to combine, dilute, or hoard the salt and light of the earth. Amen? So in this season, you are the salt and light. Jesus is saying that you are essential, more valuable than gold. But you're that valuable and you're that essential to society as long as you don't lose your saltiness. As long as you don't put that basket over that light. Fear wants to put that basket on your light. Don't let it do so. Talk back. You've got the hope. You've got the light. Move forward. Amen? So I'd like for us to stand now. And as we pray, I'd like for us to just stand in a, in a posture of receiving from the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for speaking today. Thank you, Jesus, for this moment of commissioning. There are people here who have never understood their light and salt. And there are people here who have functioned in it, but there are, God is calling you to a whole nother caliber of salt and light. A whole nother level. As darkness increases, so must your salt and light caliber. So in Jesus' name, I bless you with the knowledge and depth of insight on being the salt and light of the earth. In Jesus' name, I bless you with the presence of God and the awareness of the presence of God within you so that you show up in darkness and you dispel it. In Jesus' name, I bless you with the authority that Jesus has given you because he has named you the salt and light of the earth. In Jesus' name, we rebuke the baskets, we rebuke the diluting, we rebuke the disunity that is combined so often with the salt. In Jesus' name, we thank you for the purity of the salt to be resided in our own souls. And Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for breaking those baskets, establishing your hope in our souls so that we can speak and do the light of Christ. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for doing this now. I thank you, Lord, for your work to be made manifest in our lives, that even when we feel alone, we will not waver, we will not back off, we will not be shaken because you declared that we are the light of the world, because you are in us. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Church, you are the light. You are the salt in this season, season, 
in this season scatter yourselves among the people so that you pull out the good things of God so that the world would know the godly are in this city so that the world would know so that this city would know that darkness has someone to combat it speak back against the fear and darkness in Jesus name season transform you are essential to society you are essential because God said so scale up to that level because that's what God spoke over you in Jesus name we pray Amen.